Welcome to Demystifying the Creative Economy. I'm your host, Asher James, and I'm here to deliver to you interviews with creative industry leaders that focus less on the what they do, but rather more on the impact that their endeavors have had on our local economies and local cultures. In this episode, we get to chat with Marty of AimClear about his role in the creative economy and the economic impact that his businesses have brought onto our community. My, my kind of goal for the show here is we're, we're going to start with your journey and who you are and just kind of what you do day to day, where you've come from, all of that, your entrepreneurial journey. The second thing that we're going to then dive into is talking about um, something that I personally wanted to know is how did you come up with the name Aim Clear? And I noticed that yeah, a lot. That's a good story. I noticed that a lot in your marketing, like with the, on your just homepage of your website, it's about like having your like clear intentions aiming towards like where you want to go and stuff like that. It's um, sweet, and that's nothing how we came up with the name. That's so funny. It, it's a funny story. Um, do you want to do that first? Yeah, later? let's dive into it. So, um, yeah, before we get into the name part, I think it would be cool to just dive into, again, who you are, what, how you spend your days, what you're, what you're running, what your entrepreneurial journey has looked like leading you up to this point in, in your career and in your life. So how I spend my days now is traveling around the world, taking pictures of the Aurora, um, photographing in the western part of the United States, Iceland, Norway, Europe, South America. And I'm involved at Aim Clear, still mentoring the executives, um, helping uh, bring in my relationships that um, become new business and advising at a high level. Um, so I'm mostly retired now. Yeah. But still integral, integrally involved in um, some of the deeper parts of the business hmm. from afar. Yeah. Um, my entrepreneurial journey. Well, um, I'm in my mid sixties. I grew up in Chelmsford, C H E L M S F O R D lovingly pronounced Chelmsford. If you live near Boston, um, I grew up and graduated from Chelmsford high school and I was a band drama nerd, um, um, barely graduated cause I really didn't care. Um, but I did learn quite a bit, um, the class that I didn't go to was typing, ironically, a skill I really needed. Um, I went to Berklee College of Music in Boston and fitting with my patterns, I went seven semesters, discovered um, uh, cannabis, intensive dating, and I dropped out after seven semesters right before graduation to go on the road with a band. It's the best time to drop out. It was pretty amazing. Yeah. Um, it, and the first, the first band that I got a job with, remember I'm in Boston, was based in... Fargo, North Dakota. And I remember driving across sunflower field for sunflower fields for hundreds of miles going, where the F am I? What happens if I have to get to a hospital? But it was pretty cool. We played in a cover band and I was a little out of place with hair down to my waist and gold lame shorts and eyeliner and stuff. Um, you can find pictures of what that era looked like by Googling Marty Weintraub rock star picture. You'll find it. And um, be careful. You will never be able to unsee that. Never be able to unsee it. I'll link and, it in the show notes below. Thanks. So that was that was a very <laughs> cool experience. And it landed me in the early 80s in Minneapolis um, 
um, right about the time Purple Rain was released. And at that time, when the drinking age was 18 in Minneapolis, and I'm a keyboard player in a band, there were um, dozens of clubs, probably more than 200. There were more than 200 clubs that supported paying bands in the mid-80s, $2,000 a week to play in ballrooms and nightclubs and all that. And so I became entrenched in the scene mm. all the way up through engineering many hours at Paisley Park. Um, that was great until my <coughs> habits overcame me and it became an unhealthy environment that I could not really handle. Um, my mental health deteriorated, as did my physical health. Mm. And so me, looking like Robert Smith from The Cure with last night's eyeliner on, took a job teaching piano at a Schmidt Music in Burnsville. And that was really actually an interesting entrepreneurial take because I was teaching piano for like 25 bucks an hour. Mm. And every time we sold a piano, I got like an 18% spiff. I go, whoa, capitalism, dude. Yeah, <laughs> It was really good. I sold a lot of pianos to families that totally needed them. And um, ironically, looking back on those days, one student won a Grammy. Um, and there's just some students who have really made their way in the music industry that I'm very proud of that I met when they were like little tiny kids. Yeah. And um, one thing led to another and soon I started being hired to create music for advertising jingles. Um, and I did some for some pretty amazing um, companies that you've heard of and I could sing them, but you don't want to. You don't want to hear me. Uh, it has been said that I have a voice for newspaper and a face for radio like, so you don't want me to sing um <laughs> but that was that was really really neat and so i was i was invited to the larger advertising um agency creative table and pretty soon i'm not just doing music but i'm helping to storyboard video and i'm uh, doing photo shoots and edit editing video and and of course the internet was coming to prevalence this was in the late 80s early 90s and so I'm helping to figure out how to use email. There were, there was one year where I made like $30,000 making one-off CD burns at $70 a CD. And as I realized that was going to become obsolete, I started what is a key philosophy in my entrepreneurial vision, which is render yourself obsolete on a daily basis because they'll still need to hire you to figure out the next thing. Mm. And so the next year I made twice as much teaching the agencies to do it themselves right before every computer in America had a $30 CD burner. Um, one thing lead to one thing led um, to another, and of course, um, being me, I didn't handle having revenue or attention very well. Mm. Um, um, but I was getting more into recording my music, um, and so in the late '80s, early '90s, myself and five people that I was producing in a studio in Golden Valley got a pretty massive local publishing deal, um, national publishing deal for local people. Um, from Polygram International Publishing in Burbank. And mm. they put a lot of money into my studio and into my writers and me. And I found myself commuting between Burbank and mm. and um, the cities. And that was pretty cool. Um, made some really nice um, records and then merged my loves. For all of my life, I had been traveling to the wilderness. And I actually became quite familiar with Duluth. Mm. Um, being on the road with a band. Um, I used to play at the um, Brass Lantern at the 
Chinese, the, the Golden Phoenix, Brass Lantern, the Golden Phoenix, and a ballroom that's not here anymore. Mm. And, um, and faithfully in the late 80s, I discovered the Boundary Waters. And so um, cut back forward to the early 90s, I started going to the Boundary Waters um, at the same time as I had all these advertising agency connections and started recording outdoor sounds, wolves, loons, um, et cetera, rainstorms. And um, of course, I, I knew how to organize and produce because of all the work that I had done with advertising agencies. And um, that led to a massive, um, a massive record deal with a company called North Sound. And I started traveling the world, recording dolphins in the wild and semi-wild and setting it to music. And that company sold 20 million CDs. And wow. I did the dolphin ones and the wolf ones. Back in the day when you were a kid and you could press a button on a kiosk in Target, yeah. I was undertaking the first multivariate testing um, I had ever done, which was what sound should it play triggered by the motion detector from how far away uh, people walked and what color should the tiles be on the grid and which one should be in the center or the upper left. And those CDs were um, like 18 bucks a crack. And mm. and the ones I did sold a lot, like lots of zeros after that. And um, there was a time in the world where I couldn't go anywhere in the world and not see my CDs. Like, mm -hmm. I remember starkly going to Mall of America, a rainforest cafe, and seeing a whole wall of my CDs. That's wild. You can still find them on the, you can still find them on the internet. Of course, it was pre-internet. Yeah, yeah. But, um, but anyway, um, counterintuitively, um, counterintuitively, I, um, I, um, having crashed out of the polygram deal for poor lifestyle decisions and not being able to handle revenue mm. and with bad mental health, um, which um, you can note as a pattern for my early life, like it, it was very difficult to handle anything that felt like success. Um, um, I sort of crashed out. Um, I sort of crashed out and um, counterintuitively, making a decision which is not the normal choice after selling that many zeros of CDs and having that kind of revenue. Um, bought a house on Park Point in Duluth and mm -hmm. took a job as creative director as KDLH at KDLH. And it was transformational. Yeah. It was so cool. Not very far from where you are right now. Sure. In what is now the um, Maurice's building, mm. KDLH was there and I had a beautiful studio right on the skywalk. And I continued to make records and there was um, one year where um, for KDLH and then another dozen um, station um, sta station group members, like I did the music for the news, I did the design for the news, I did the logo for KDLH. Mm -hmm. Like it was really integrated. It was all the parts that worked together. And that was pretty neat. Did their first website with my own hands. Um, and then the next step in my career was to be um, the interactive, quote unquote, director of a venerable Taconite to tourism agency that still exists as part of another agency group called Westmoreland, mm. now part of the Flint group, and did some of the earliest websites in the community. Um, and it was pretty cool. Like it was, it was a mix of B2B and B2C stuff. Like we did the IRRRB and we did um, accountants in town here. And that was, um, that, that was pretty neat. Um, uh, 
the next step for me was taking a job, trying to line all that up. For me, I've always been trying to line up the things that I love to do. And so um, I took a job um, actually in the, in the cities, mm. working for the Institute of Production and Recording, teaching, only I really wasn't interested at all in their curriculum. And I went way off script all the time. And so it was a tenuous experience at best, especially since I didn't have a college degree mm. and they were seeking accreditation. But I had um, quite a bit of experience with marketing and the internet. And so um, they took me off teaching and um, together we like multiplied their business times six. Mm -hmm. it, it was pretty, it was pretty epic. It, um, it wasn't very far from that until I started my own freelance career mm -hmm. and then agency career. And I founded Aim Clear in 2007, um, incubated by John Goldfine and ZMC Hotels. Okay. And if you do some research, you'll see that there's other amazing businesses in town that John took an interest in. And what, what I remember about that period is that um, um, I was helping to market like several dozen hotels, uh, providing about $600 a month of service for a $300 office space. Yep. But it was awesome. Like I, I went to work every day and AimClear grew really quickly. Um, um, by the, the second client was Blue Cross Blue Shield, Minnesota. Wow. And um, we sold 12, 125 million of catastrophic um, health, health insurance with six pages and cleaning up rogue affiliates on the internet. And I learned many lessons about working with large corporations mm. where, I mean, I had hair down to there and didn't really fit in, but um, I learned important things like I have to have my own projector because otherwise my meeting can go to crap if their projector doesn't work and it makes me look stupid. Learned a lot of important, very, um, very um, basic lessons. Oh, also during that time in, in, I have to step back two years. I had a formative experience. In 2005, I had survived stage 3B lymphoma, which was a riot. And so driving up and down the freeway between um, Mayo Clinic and Duluth for a chemo treatment, I listened to a book called Good to Great by mm. Jim Collins, which I would recommend to anybody, Good to Great, about how um, companies have weathered, um, weathered changes and become fantastic companies that with great longevity. And one of the key concepts was, what can you do best in the world? Mm. Like there's other people who are best in the world too, but if they want your mojo, they have to ask you to do it. And I thought, well, I really understand the semantics of intent. Like I know the difference between somebody going on the internet and searching for brain surgery well, what does that mean versus brain surgeon? Mm. Well, what does that mean? Well, I don't know. Not really. You could be pursuing a career. You could want to know what they make. Or how about brain surgery, facility, hospital, clinic, best brain surgeon, Milwaukee. And I thought that I had a really good understanding of the semantics of, it, of purchase or acquisition intent. And I thought, well, I could be really great at that. Mm. So um, I wrote a business plan for Aim Clear in 2006, still kind of juiced on chemo. I still didn't feel very good and went to my first international conference in Chicago. And 
Last time I was that jacked up was when I danced with my 14-year-old girlfriend in what, eighth grade? Is that ninth grade? Something <laughs> like that. And and danced to color my world and then was up late at night unable to sleep. Cause so I was just freaked at the whole concept of internet marketing and targeting and integrated digital marketing that yeah. included public relations and paid and um, and I went there to learn about this new fancy thing, social media and WordPress. Mind blown. <laughs> um, AimClear grew really quickly. Um, by our fourth year, um, by our fourth year, we had ten employees and made the Inc. 500 list wow. as the fastest growing privately held company in America. Yeah. Um, um, now we made we made um, Inc. 500 or Inc. 5000 six times in a row, which was hard. Um, we won best small integrated agency at the U.S. Search Awards, which is really hard because you're up against giant holding groups like Publicis. And um, the last eight years in a row, we have the most U.S. Search Awards in history. We have clients all over the world. We spent the first dollar of paid social media for Airbnb. We've worked with Facebook, LinkedIn, um, Etsy all over the world. I'm sorry, Etsy, eBay all over the world, mm. Gumtree as clients. Mm. Um, and an amazing array of local and international clients. Um, um, learned many, 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 many lessons um, about how to embrace what's new while paying of uh, reverence and adhering to venerable precepts, mm. which are ironically being turned kind of on their their side by some aspects of artificial intelligence. Um, I'm mostly retired now, so taking it all the way around, now I spend my time um, uh, like you. Yeah. Like photography interests me a great deal and um, have some recording studios that I play in and so it's just been a blessed ride. And I'll just say our team of 25, mm. they're just freaking amazing. Yeah. Like they're some of the best marketers in the world. Average length of employment at our company is well over five years. We've had a number of people go for 10 years and some of them have literally become some of the most respected marketers in the world. Yeah. Um, just one last thought and then I'll just answer questions. Sure. Um, we built Aim Clear on UMD talent, Yeah. on CSS talent. Um, on University of Wisconsin Superior Talent. Um, as the industry matured, it was really difficult to um, hire great people, so we built them here. Yeah. And the Zenith Conference that we put on each year is a celebration of that. Like, we're intrinsically wound with the talent and entrepreneurial spirit of the students that attend the higher academic institutions in our area. and. There's a whole story there about how that happened, but I'll save that for another time. Just know that um, we're here because those schools rock ass. Yeah, yeah. No, I couldn't agree more. It's and thank you for like sharing all of that in your story. Like, it, I think what the biggest takeaway for me, especially for any like students or people that are maybe pivoting in careers or don't really know like what their what lights them up or what they're passionate about, is that it's never too late to use what you love and apply it to something within all of the different creative industries out there. And at the end of the day, that's what I think creativity is all about. It's not necessarily like a particular field, but it's a way that you can incorporate that 
that thought process into any industry. Like for here at Duluth Creative Co, a big question I get asked is, hey, can I work here? Like I'm not your traditional creative, you know, I, I'm not a photographer, um, but I just need a space to work. And I'm like, absolutely. Like we're not just called Duluth Creative Co because of, we're only serving creative people, but there's creativity within all industries in a way. And so I think that that's really, really cool to hear how you've brought in your creativity and you're just, ability to just play with different um, ideas and concepts and apply that to something that's going to grow people's businesses, which is really exciting. Um, one really cool thing about creativity yes. is that um, if you spend your time uh, traveling to the Norwegian Arctic mm. to take pictures of the aurora in astroscapes with light painted foreground interest, yeah. when you go back and play your nine foot Baldwin concert grand in the recording studio. It's all different and it's all mature in a different way. Yeah. Um, in creativity, whatever node or whatever medium you gain expertise in, it helps your brain process. Um, like, like creativity is the manipulation of tension and release mm. um, mutually and in other people by touching things we have in common or don't. I love that. Um, and that, that's a, that's not a music thing or a painting thing or a photography thing. That's just a thing. Like um, it's hearing colors and tasting sounds mm. and, um, and all those things I learned when my lifestyle wasn't as healthy as it is now. Like um, Healthy being a relative term. Yes. <laughs> well, I'm having the best time of my whole life. I now. love it. I I'm love having it. the best time of my whole life. Yeah. Um, but I know that any boundaries, um, well, peyote showed me <laughs> <laughs> that, that any boundaries we have cross sensory are artificial mm. and limit the actual human brain. Mm. And you know this because everyone knows this because you can listen to music that reminds you and feel a feeling somewhere in your body yeah. or you can smell something and it can remind you of a memory um, and so it's not a very far leap to seeing a color and hearing a sound. Mm. And um, creativity is when you're typing a Word document and you get to the end and you hear the orchestra flourish yeah. or the timpani slam. Or uh, creativity is when you, um, cre creativity is when you, um, is when, yeah, you understand like it's, it's cross-sensory. It's, mm. it's like, so when you're doing any kind of art, you can imagine that you're in a poetry slam with 11 people watching or whether you're at Avery Fisher Hall and Lincoln Center. Um, and it's an empty hall where the New York Philharmonic plays and it's mm. just you. And whether anyone hears you or not, too bad. Yeah. Once when I was in my um, early 30s, mm -hmm. when I made my first Dolphin record where I where I, I set um, beautiful dolphin sounds to global music. And mm -hmm. that record was called Dolphin Dreams. And you can still find it on the internet somewhere. And um, it, it really took off. Like, it was really a neat record. And um, when you make records, you have headphones on that make it sound like you're in a concert hall or, mm -hmm. or a concrete garage or whatever. It sounds like you're in the record so that you could be inspired by the hall that you're placed in. Mm. And um, uh, once the record was released, 
I got a note from the record company that last week the record sold 30,000 units. And I just went, whoa. And so I put on my headphones and it was that ozone smell from outside because it was raining on the pavement. Yeah. And, 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 and I played that note, just one note on the piano and it was so beautiful. And I went, wow, like 30,000 people can hear that note. Yeah. Like whatever. And, and so when you are creative first, it's very mechanical. I'll Mm. use the music analogy, but it applies to every medium and media and genre and art form. Mm. But at first it's very mechanical. Like, um, you, you learn patterns with your hands and, and, it's detached and you learn to read notes. And then after a, a long while of doing that, then you can kind of every once in a little clo- every once in a while close your eyes and kind of feel it a little. It's not quite so much pattern oriented. And then after a great while, after a great while, you can put head into it mm. and kind of go through your heart and get a little more expressive and feel it more. And then after a really great while, um, you could just kind of, it's just like your heart and then your hands. And that day, um, it was just straight from my heart to 30,000 people. And I realized that, um, I don't ever have to have an audience again in my whole life. Not ever, not once. Mm. I just know that I have the heart to speak to these people with my art. And so since then, like on the entrepreneurial tip yeah. and creativity, I've learned to think big. Mm. It pays way better. <laughs> I love that. It pays way better to think big. Yeah. It does. Like, so when I make records, I'm thinking about playing in stadiums. Yeah. Or, or the Village Vanguard in New York with jazz icons that I revere and will never play as well as. And when I'm writing, I'm trying to write. Um, well, I wrote fairly extensively for like publications like Inc magazine or yeah. other pubs like that. So like, like I just try to do everything as best in the world I can all the while being really conscious of what talent I do not have. Mm. Like I'll never be Chick Corea as a piano player. I'll never be, um, um, Ansel Adams. Like I'm just not that good. But that doesn't mean that um, I can't speak directly from my heart mm. by storytelling, creativity. And it's finally now in my career where it's not quite so important that I get paid for it. Like I don't get paid for my photography. I don't want to. Sure. It's not what I do. Um, or I guess, well, I give my prints away. I give my, um, anyway, so long answer. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think, yeah, that's just, that's, that's beautiful and really inspiring. And I, what I want to do, I think as, as much as we could like dive more into that and the creativity, cause that's like personally what really lo- like lights me up and, and gets me going. And actually, before I get into that, like, I think I really resonate with what you said about thinking big, because a big thing for me in my businesses, and since I've graduated college from the cultural entrepreneurship program, I've, I've thought a lot about goal setting and just like what's important. And I was attending a workshop in August and it was called the unrealistic workshop. 
And the whole point of it was to set goals that are unrealistic because realistic goals are not worth having because once you achieve them, you're like, oh, great. Well, I mean, I kind of knew that I could do that. Like, I think when you set a goal, just like a normal realistic goal, it's kind of like the bare minimum threshold of what you're capable of, right? But if you set a goal that's so big, playing the stadiums, you're, you're just doing all of the things that you never thought you could possibly do, that's, even if you don't achieve that, you're still going to be way farther along than if you were to set that realistic goal in the first place. I think that's correct. Yeah. And I would add while living in the real world. Yes. Because you have to eat. Mm. And so the whole concept of how we get paid comes into it. Absolutely. Um, so thinking really huge and setting, um, for me, I don't actually think any goal is unattainable. Yeah. I don't. I think that the people that become flippin' totally famous are just, or, or well compensated. And notice that I don't say wealthy or rich, because that's, that's like never been the goal for me. I just want to have enough. Well, and there's so many different safe. definitions of what that means. Yeah. Right? Like rich, where rich means I think I'll, I think I'll, um, think maybe I'll sell one of my Ford jets for a little cash flow. Like right. that's rich. Like well off is when you can do what you need to do and not really worry and you're mm. set for when you retire. Right. Um, so to, along the lines of what you said, um, I don't want to set myself up for failure in the name of having it be an awesome trip if I make it partway there. Totally. Um, and so, um, yeah, I, I mostly agree with what, I mostly agree with what you, with what you say. Mm -hmm. um, for me, my goals, it's true that I've written business plans and it's true that I've set goals and it's true that I've reached goals and I have not reached goals. Right. And for me, um, goal setting is a thing that takes care of itself mm. from, in an organic way. I'm just like driven. Yeah. I'm just like driven. I want to know everything about editing and Lightroom. Mm. Like I want to, I'm just, I, I get driven. I'm confident that I'm somewhere on the spectrum. And so I get this myopia where like, so, so like I go for me, goals are self-selecting. Yeah. Oh, also aim clear was the fifth business that I started. Yeah. And the other ones were, um, not successful. Sure. Ultimately, sure. even though there were flashes of revenue even substantial revenue that were flashes mm. that I messed up or in fact, I was able to market myself and create things that were successful that I really wasn't qualified to do. Sure. Sure. Um, Which so, I love by the way, because like, I, and I think that that's a big thing for people to take away too, is like, you don't need to wait for someone to tell you that you're ready. Arguably like starting something before you're ready or having absolutely no idea about like how to achieve said thing, but just knowing like, Hey, this is what I'm passionate about. This is what I'm excited about. I'm going to apply the things that I already have, the knowledge that I have, the art that I'm obsessed with and that I love. I'm going to apply all of this to this new topic. So like those first four businesses aren't inherently things that weren't successful as they were things that led you to a future success, that deferred success, um, that aim clear came to be and in, in all of your other projects that you've been working on as well. When I had cancer, I became qualified under Minnesota's Rule 114, which mm. is the mediation 
um, which is which is about mediation, and I mediated a bunch of divorces. Sure. Um, so I'm all jacked up on chemo and mediating divorces. Yeah. And, um, that sounds like like a show. It was pretty. In, it was pretty intense, but yeah. I learned the difference. But it was key because I learned the difference between directive and transformational communications. Mm. Uh, directive is when I go, well, you say red and you say white, and you both say you're freaking patriotic. Why not blue? I mean, a right. flag is red, white, and blue. Let's just do blue and go home, um, which is a technique that yields more outcomes that don't last as long sure. versus saying, well, you say red and you say white. And I think I heard you both say, I mean, did I hear you both say that you're patriotic? Red, white, and yeah. red, white, and... And that's a more transformative way of reaching agreement and it yields fewer outcomes, but they last longer mm. because being an entrepreneur, it's sort of like being a therapist <laughs> in a good way, yeah, in a really good way and in a healthy way. And here's a fun, here's a fun thing. I learned more about being a healthy person yeah. from managing the workplace dynamic. Mm. Um, and I'm very, I'm like, I'm really proud, like, fabulous boundaries and really great like i'm just really proud of that and so my, my point the looping back around is the mediation yeah. experience yep i had a business called duluth family mediation i ended up stopping it because it made me angry yeah like <laughs> like there's a there's a few months where i just feel like going they go hi marty how you doing like <laughs> yeah yeah because in mediation you go well it's going to be an unnatural dynamic because I'm going to direct the flow of conversation um, more than in a socially acceptable way. If I'm mm. with you, I will not be, I can't be that directive, but so I always explain, so I'm really going to guide. And if I say stop, not personal. Um, so I learned. And so what I took into business and entrepreneur from that was mm -hmm. starting every interaction. I want you to know that as I lead this conversation, I'm going to be more directive to come to a conclusion that can serve our business and problem solve right now more than we would be normally if we met over pizza and beer. Mm. So I want you to please not take it personally. I may say, hold on, and I'll be directive. Um, so, so everything that you do as an entrepreneur and success and failure are crucial lessons mm. for the time in your life. You will put together all the pieces. Yeah. I did this. I did what you're doing here. I had an incubator on Superior Street yeah. where P.S. Rudy is right now across from the tech village mm -hmm. um, for years. For years, we had different businesses there and I had a beautiful studio there. Yeah. And, yeah. Like, and that also was crucial to my... Um, to my um, eventual outcome. Yeah. 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 So I want to tie that into, I know when we, when we, before we started recording, we were talking about how there's a fun story of how the name Aim Clear came to be. So I, now for this kind of like part B to this episode, I want to dive into what Aim Clear is and how it, how it started, the name, how it's transformed into what it is today. And then we'll pivot into uh, chatting about the impact that it has had and the place that it has within our creative economy and what how it's impacted the creative economy. So that's a lot, but let's bring it to um, just starting with what is AimClear? How did the name come to be? Because apparently there's a funny story there. So when I started AimClear, 
um, literal domains yeah. where your keyword was in your domain was even bigger than it is now, which okay. is a little less now, but still important or still something mm. if not important. Um, and so I registered all these domains, Minnesota SEO, MNSEO, but I knew it wasn't just SEO, um, Minnesota pay-per-click, Minnesota PPC, Duluth SEO, blah, 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 blah. And um, my friend John Goldfine said, well, SEO, I mean, it's not the only thing. There's mm-hmm. PR, there's paid media, there's um, social media, there's um, strategy. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't sound very evergreen to me. And he said, well, what about movingtarget.com? Mm. I went, well, ho, 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 John, that name's not going to be available. And of course it wasn't. But there was a tool of the day called Nameboy. And it doesn't exist anymore. It's some spam site now. But sure. Nameboy was cool. Because it was a lateral stemming thesaurus, meaning if the keyword you put in was um, was um, caterer, mm. it would come back and not just say catering or food service, but it would say bar mitzvah cakes for sale or party planning. It came with related keywords. Mm. And I put moving target in and somewhere on that list was aim clear. Yeah. And so I registered it and that was the name. I love it. And so it has come to have much greater meaning because, of course, our focus is on um, search and psychographic targeting. Yes. Like, I mean, we're targeting people because of who they are and their behavior and layers and layers of that Mm. um, and concatenating their histories and really knowing who they are. Um, So aim clear is it sort of has come to mean our targeting prowess. But really, it was a mechanical exercise to solve lateral stemming thesaurus results for the word moving and the word target. Yeah. Oh, that's so funny. I think like a lot of early entrepreneurs can identify with just having no idea what to name their company or their business. And that, that can like hold I you have up. I no idea. Right? And, th- and that can be like a huge holdup. Um, and I think it's it's cool because I don't know who hasn't been to some sort of name generative, you know, website to try to come up with something. I still don't hate it. Yeah, yeah. I, I still, I still, I like it. Yeah, it's, it's a cool name. And I've known, and of course, when we first did the name, it was lowercase a capital, capital um, letter C. Yes. Uh, the the R for registered because we've protected our intellectual property, mm-hmm. and then it was capital A for a long time, and I just always hated that. Like, mm. So now it's all capital letters and italicized. I don't know that I love that because it's really hard to type. Sure. The staff doesn't complain because they know I didn't like it all the other ways. But I I do notice that there are lots of companies locally who kind of did a name like that. And mm. the, yeah, it was very, um, it was very millennial. Yeah. Very millennial kind of, kind of name. Sure. But I sure. like it and it fits the company and. We're um, arguably one of the top companies of our type in the world. Yeah, yeah, that's incredible. So, I um, I now want to talk more about AimClear and its impact that it's had all over the world in the creative economy, but also throughout local economies as well. So, kind of because at the end of the day, the local economy is just it's local to wherever you're at or wherever those people are at. I think that we can overuse the term local economy a lot. Um, but when it comes to impact on people and culture and community, how has AimClear as a creative business impacted other businesses, whether they're traditionally creative or not, and um, how, how it's impacted the economy in that sort of way? So 
Aimclear being a creative business, creative industry, impacting the creative economy. And well, there's a few questions to unpack there. Let's yes. break them down. Yes, let's do it. So first, we'll do the global part. I wrote the first major label business book about Facebook advertising in 2011. Oh my gosh. It was called Killer Facebook Ads, and it was on the Cybex imprint of the Wiley Brothers label. Yeah. And it was a, it was a massive book deal. And I went from being a speaker at conferences eight to 10 times a year mm. to keynoting conferences in Australia and London and being in the newspaper in Sydney when I said things about, like I once... In, in 2012, I did a keynote in Sydney and I said, Australians from an internet perspective are statistically insignificant. Nobody lives here and there's no data. Front page of the Sydney Herald. Yeah. It's pretty cool. Marty Weintraub said Australians are statistically insignificant. That was fun. Um, I'm sure that went over really well. Yeah. <laughs> Here's a Haggerty. Right, exactly. Um, <laughs> Hey, yeah, any, there was any one, press is good press, right? There was once an article in the Duluth News Tribune. I wrote an article called, Did $10 Million of Destination Marketing Make Duluth Famous? Yeah. It was on the front page headline of the Duluth News Tribune. Yeah. Because it actually didn't. Yeah. Like Duluth has still missed its calling. Mm. Like compare Duluth algorithmic to Tahoe or even Fargo. Yeah. Uh, like um, – all the money that we invest in tourism in Duluth is to reinforce the bubble of people that come here from close by. That's another story. We could do a whole hour on that. Oh, I, I 100% agree. That that would be a fun thing to circle back onto in the future for sure. Yeah. Um, fun being, again, a relative term. Well, recently our mayor <laughs> took millions of dollars of local money and yeah. gave it to an agency in Sioux Falls. Sure. That... Um, an agency in the cities that also markets South Dakota against Minnesota. So. Interesting. Interesting, not funny. Yes, um, yes. Anyway, the effect on the local economy. So first, local versus global, which you raised. Yeah. Um, I've, I, I knew someone for a long time um, who is a very famous, famous singer mm. who had um, multiple top five hits around the world. And he said... Um, well, I'm not famous globally anymore, but I'm famous in every small place that I go. Yeah, yeah. And he goes, that is globally famous. Right. Like, you don't have to get the massive national media to be to be um, globally famous. And so I, I just, I, we did th make a conscious decision in the early days. We figured if we invested in a national brand, mm -hmm. being a national brand, local would take care of itself. And it did. Versus focusing on being a local brand and the rest does not take care of itself. So we've always reached, um, really not really for like national, um, 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 brand mentality. Mm -hmm. Um, so far as the effect on the local economy, if you had asked me any time in the last 17 years, which mm -hmm. is how long we've been in business somehow, um, um, well, I know how we're really good. If you ask me what my job was, it's to keep people from messing with our team yeah. and to help with everyone's retirement. Mm. That's my job. Yes. Like in the third year of Aim Clear, I fired more revenue than we had in our second year because they didn't treat our staff well. Yeah. Like um, the effect on the local economy, well, we have 25 employees and they're paid like they work in much, much, much larger cities. Yeah. Um, um, certainly competitive for the industry, highly stable, retained every employee through the pandemic. Um, um, I'd say, I'd say 
there's a number of really good marketers in our community and there's some good marketing agencies. Mm. Um, Haley Sue comes to mind. Mike Seifer is very talented. Um, others um, come, um, come, come to mind. And I don't think that um, any of them have done the collection of things that we've done. I think we're unique in the history of marketing in our city. Mm. The level of clients that we've worked with, the the um, quantity of the level of clients we've worked with. Mm. By the time Aim Clear was four years old, we trained Amazon three times. Wow. Um, it, it, it was it was nuts. Like it was just nuts. Um, we were on fire. We're still on fire. We're still doing amazing work for amazing brands. Like the case studies that won in the U.S. Search Awards this year mm -hmm. pipelined triple-digit millions in revenue for our clients. Mm -hmm. Sometimes without any media spend. Yeah. So like, so the effect on the local economy, well, um, the, the conference that we put on each year in collaboration with the Chamber of Commerce mm -hmm. is where we bring in between, where it draws 200 to 300 people and a dozen speakers from all over the world. That's big. That's like Charlotte. Or that's like, like um, I mean, that is a big regional conference mm. with the same sort of content that you would find in New York for a tenth of the cost. Um, so I think we've built a bridge to Twin Cities marketers. Mm -hmm. We're really good friends with MinSearch, which is a, one of the trade organizations that's very um, strong in the Twin Cities. I think that um, uh, our marketers, not me, though I certainly have been an ambassador, for, for years, I've gone all over the world and I said, see that place on the map? Mm -hmm. Literally, I come from there. And people ask me, where did we get these amazing people? I said, we made them. They made themselves here. I love that. Um, so I think that, I think that Aim Clear is truly an international uh, brand ambassador for one of the coolest places to live in the world. Um, it's funny. Um, people ask me how I get by with all the cold here. And I yeah. go, oh, that's easy. I go to the Arctic to photograph the Aurora in February. Yeah. That's, that's how. Then, then when you come back, it's like, oh, this is warm. So we've run, <laughs> we've run a lot of money, certainly high double digit millions through the banks in the region. Yeah. Um, we've helped, helped like there's some people at aim clear, um, like of our original 10 people four mm -hmm. still work there. Yeah. That's been like a long time. You said like 11 years. Well, we're 17 years old. 17 years, yeah. And so of the original 10 people, yeah. which we made 10 people by our third year, yeah. four are still at the company. Oh, that's wild. I know. It's crazy. So we've seen whole generations of AimClear yeah. families yeah. grow up, go to college and stuff. Like, yeah. It's quite amazing. Like, And I'm most proud of that. Mm. I, I, I'll, I'll leave you with this thought on that note. Yes. So for all the attention that the company has gotten over the years... There was only one award that made me weep. Yeah. Um, they, it's not an award that is given anymore, but you may remember there used to be these awards called the Labowitz Awards. Okay. And, and it was they're very cool. And in, I, I don't know, in like our fifth year or something, um, I won the Labowitz Emerging Entrepreneur Award. And it was the highlight of my career. Yeah. Standing in a room at the beautifully redone ballroom at the DAC in front of 
the entire business community, a dropout from music school, yeah, um, who overcame intensive mental health issues to flourish with this beautiful, stable company that was making Inc. 5000 the second year in a row mm. of six, um, being acknowledged for the beautiful work that our team does. And I just couldn't even speak. Yeah. Like Barbara Riles gave the award and I just cried like, yeah. Yeah. Like, like so acknowledgement locally for contributing to the economy and making a difference has meant more to me than any of the national accolades. Yeah. So um, internationally. Yeah. There is nowhere in the world we can go and have not people that are insiders in the industry not know who we are. Yeah. I've spoken at or keynoted most of the major um, digital marketing conferences in the world. Um, now there's so many, I guess I can't fully say that, but in the first 15 years of the industry, it was a more insular vertical. Totally. Um, so, so there's many people where the only reason they know about Duluth is from our work. Yeah. Oh, that's incredible. We've moved whole families here yeah. from San Francisco who bought houses across the alley from us. Yeah. Like we've like what we are is we are pure economic development. Yeah. That's taking that's that's not taking, but that's um in enticing and incenting and encouraging and loving people to come to be here. And to have other companies that are spending their money somewhere else to come spend it here on our people. It's as pure an economic development play mm. as there is. Mm. That's incredible. I'm very proud of it. Like, yeah. And it's, um, it's easy for me to sit here and, and to um, be the focal point of attention for that. Yeah, yeah. But um, it's an amazing a team of people, none the least of which is our CEO, Laura Weintraub, yeah. who's a fabulously gifted business attorney and mm. leader for our company and makes it possible every day for me to go to Buenos Aires and go fishing. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. Oh my gosh. Marty, thank you so yeah. much for sitting down. Like there's so much value and so much inspiration that I've gathered just from sitting down and talking with you that I'm super excited for our listeners to hear for the first time, but also to keep coming back to because of how incredibly rich and dense the information that you have just so willingly given in oh, this thanks. show has been. Thank you for the 12 hours it's going to take you to edit this shit. <laughs> well, I have an editor, so thank you <laughs> to, to my editor. First thing there. you do is go thanks, all the Ty. way through and cut out anything that sucks. <laughs> no, no, no. It was seriously, I was so engaged the entire time. Like, it's just like the, the way that you're able to weave together all of these pinnacle points and transitions in your life and and bring them into a conversation that like makes sense for the first time me sitting down and hearing these uh like stories is is it was really powerful i'm glad yeah can't wait to hear it uh, good luck with your um with your new um space here and thank your you podcast and all that and yeah uh, think big it pays way better ah i love it i love it we'll leave it right there all right thanks <laughs> 
You've been listening to the Demystifying the Creative Economy podcast with Asher James. If you found value and actionable ideas for yourself and your biz, please leave us a review and let us know what you'll be implementing into your business. Also, send this to a friend who you think could also find value in this conversation we had here today. You can find more information on our guests today in the show notes and on our website. Don't forget to subscribe to our show and we'll see you right back here next week when we continue to demystify the creative economy. Our producer and host is me, Asher James. Our showrunner is Dr. Aparna Khatri of the Cultural Entrepreneurship Program at the University of Minnesota Duluth. We are funded and supported by the University of Minnesota Duluth. Thanks for listening.